Is the sun really something that is like the most important thing we can pay attention to? My friend Zaid thinks so, and he breaks down how he coaches and helps people in the quantum realm break down a lot of the information that can really be overwhelming, but he does it in a beautiful way. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Thanks for joining, brother. Uh, really excited to dive in and, and learn more. I had heard you on Max Gulhane and then Tristan Scott's uh, Decentralized Radio and thought, man, we need to dive in a little more about what you're you're doing. Uh, I love love the personal uh, story that you've got. Your, your reason why I can definitely resonate with that. Uh, but tell me a little bit about how you got into the uh, personal coaching and why it's a little bit different in how you do it. Yeah, sure. So thank you for having me, first of all. Um, in terms of how I got into the coaching, uh, you know, my, my dad's passing was definitely a big inspiration for me. I was 18 at the time. I didn't have any family members around me when um, he was induced into a coma because of the heart attack. And so that was a really tough situation for me because I was essentially trying to find my way halfway across the world with nobody to support me, so to speak. Um, and essentially that led me down the road where um, I became obsessive about learning uh, about health specifically. And I think, uh, I just had a knack for it. You know, whenever I take an obsessive approach to something, um, I can tell very easily whether it, it speaks to me or not. And so I think just because it spoke to me, I've, I've naturally gravitated towards helping other people with this, this sort of stuff. And from that point forward, I mean, there's no looking back. I'm extremely grateful for the work. And, uh, you know, what separates me, I think from most, health coaches is just the fact that I, I approach the work comprehensively. So I'm not focused on nutrition or exercise or anything from a, from a reductionist standpoint. I like to bring everything from a fundamental perspective into one entire program and system and uh, really just focus on the basics from, from that point forward. Cool. So I, uh, I feel like you've had a kind of a lot of influence from like Dr. Jack Cruz, uh, and the kind of this quantum aspects and circadian biology. So what, why does that approach differ from say, you know, a paleo coach or a carnivore or a vegan coach or like that focuses on nutrition? Yeah. Well, I think it's just the understanding that, um, when you break down reality at its most fundamental level, reality is made of three things, neutrons, protons, and electrons. And, you know, when it comes to those subatomic particles, we, we need to understand that they, they don't interact with reality the same way that, um, you know, your body does in the sense of like biochemical reactions or um, just standard, uh, standard reactions within the body. I think um, once you get into the quantum mechanics realm, then things can get very confusing. Things are very counterintuitive. Um, but like I said, you know, taking it down to the fundamental level and understanding how the body actually works from from a biological perspective, I think that's essential. 
Um, and I don't think that, you know, a, an approach that focuses solely on nutrition is able to get the results that a quantum approach can. Absolutely. The, the rabbit trails that we've been down based off of my son being diagnosed with cancer and trying to understand and, you know, nutrition was obviously the first step and, but it, it, it opened up and I, you know, I agree with uh, Dr. Cruz and the others in the quantum world uh, of that, you know, diet may not be the number one thing that there are other factors. So Zay, go into that brother. What, why is say sunlight and sleep, possibly even more important than than diet sure so i think at the end of the end of the day circadian biology is king um, when we look at how our body operates we are diurnal creatures meaning we're supposed to be awake during the day and asleep during the night and because of that um, our body operates on two main well there are multiple clocks but let's say two main clocks you have the superchiasmatic nucleus in the brain which is the quote-unquote master clock and then you have the peripheral clocks, which are linked to the organs specifically. So the skin, liver, kidneys, um, you name it. And so when you look how the body is actually designed, then you, you begin to realize that everything um, at its core is built off of circadian biology. There isn't a single thing within the human body that this circadian mechanism does not touch. And the most powerful sight giver, um, which is essentially just a, a circadian external cue, is light. And so we can get into the difference between sunlight and artificial light, but um, I mean, sunlight is just, our bodies are meant to absorb every wavelength of sunlight to, um, to its core. Help me understand kind of the uh, connection between sunlight melanin and how you kind of started off talking about protons, neutrons, electrons, uh, because some of the, the, I guess, research that I, I'm seeing is that melanin is actually extremely important in ways that we don't realize, and it somehow can make hydrogen available to the mitochondria. And it, can you, can you line that out for me a little bit? Yeah, we can dive into that a, a little bit. So, Melanin, of course, is like, a, I, I think when you look at centralized medicine or the conventional approach, they just think of tanning. They just think of skin coloration. Um, but when you actually dive into the research available to us through PubMed, through various publications, you'll find that melanin has an incredible amount of properties. I mean, first of all, it's, it's one of the most powerful polymers that's actually being explored by um, the tech industry, artificial intelligence more specifically. It is uh, anti-venom. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's radioprotective. And I think the most interesting component that uh, you brought up with the question is the idea that it, it's responsible for something called fo uh, human photometabolism. So when sunlight hits your skin, when you have an adequate amount of melanin present within the, within the body, then those photons hit melanin and essentially you go through something called the photoelectric effect, which is the idea that once sunlight hits that, that part of the body, melanin specifically, um, an incredible amount of free electrons are released from that interaction. And, you know, when it comes to free electrons, I think that they have such an important role within the human body. Like we mentioned, pr uh, protons, neutrons, electrons. Electrons are, are one of those three main, um, main base layers that the body uses. Um, and, and in terms of like what the electrons are used for, they're used for the living matrix. Um, we could talk about grounding in relation to the living matrix. 
but essentially it's just making the body more efficient at energy production. At the end of the day, that's all it is, and, and that directly relates to mitochondria. We have talked with uh, you know Dr. Laszlo Boris, and uh, he, he's been phenomenal in trying to help me me understand uh, deuterium and how the uh, mitochondrial nanomotors uh, produce energy. And I think that this is a, a super interesting aspect that not very many people are even aware of. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people have heard of like the electron transport chain, but the energy being produced through nanomotors in the mitochondria is is wild right and so the the deuterium and hydrogen and water and trying to understand all that have you been able to wrap your mind around that aspect of all of this um you know i'd be lying if i said i it i have been able to wrap my head around the entire thing there are elements of it that i understand quite well just because i've like i said i take that obsessive approach to research and i spend a lot of time studying the stuff um, but I mean, for example, the, the AT pace, the biological nanomotors that you're talking about within, um, complex five of the electron transport chain, that that's an incredible fact to know that most people don't just the idea that you have the, the smallest molecular nanomotors that are able to produce energy that your body thrives on in the first place. I mean, without, without those motors, you would be dead. So that, that's something that I want people to key in on because um, it, it goes to show how miraculous the human body is and how much we need to understand that, you know, we, we don't really understand too much about the human body. We think we do. But in reality, this is a deep rabbit hole that is going to take us, I mean, maybe until the end of our lifetimes to really understand. So, Sure, sure. There, there's no telling what we don't know that we don't know. The Where where I come at this from is it's cancer. and so. If if I am correct in my assumption that cancer is a metabolic disease and it is an energy deficiency coping mechanism, then how do we best help these the mitochondria? More specifically, more at a more fundamental level, is, is are these nanomotors right? So, what have you been able to find that help the energy production of of our mitochondria? Yeah, so great question. So I think. Um... When it comes to the biological nanomotors, we need to understand that there are two main resources that these uh, nanomotors use in order to operate efficiently. You have free electrons, which either comes from the breakdown of food from the body uh, or within the body, um, or you have earthing, earthing or grounding, whichever label you want to attribute it to. Th those are two ways that you can get free electrons into the body. But um, another one that a not a lot of people appreciate is the fact that those uh, complex five actually operates on red and near infrared light. And so sunlight is a key part of this discussion because that's the only place that you can get those two for light uh, forms of uh, light wavelengths. You can also get it from red light therapy, photobiomodulation, but really if, if we want to take a holistic approach, then sun exposure and sunbathing is going to be the, the best thing that we can do. Um, and so when you think about sunbathing, uh, grounding or earthing, and then just making sure that you consume a nutrient dense diet, low in deuterium, I think that's that's by far the most powerful trio. What I've been really focused on with uh, my son is sunlight as much as possible, uh, grounding, like at, barefoot. And the other thing is try to let him get cold. 
And so I've been playing with that. And I, I remember back uh, to, you know, Tim Ferriss, uh, the four hour work week. And then he came out with the four hour body. And then in the four hour body, he specifically started talking about utilizing like cold packs, frozen ice uh, water bottles on your neck and around your shoulders to kind of, I guess, looking back, it had something to do with brown fat. What, what are your thoughts with cold? And do you have any hacks? Because Brother, I hate the idea of getting in an ice bath. <laughs> and I think most people, to be honest, hate the idea of getting into the cold. Like for, you know, I've heard a lot of people um, talk about ice baths, for example. And no matter how much experience they have, every time they have to get into the ice bath, they absolutely despise it. Um, but in regards to cold, you know, I'm a big fan. I think if we look at the mitochondria again, um, cold is one of those external inputs that really allows for mitochondrial efficiency because when your body gets cold from the outside environment your mitochondria are forced to compensate and to generate heat and so that's a, a very powerful way to to just improve overall metabolic health and really just i think reduce chronic disease as you know by and large um, but if you take a look at mitochondria themselves they're actually called carno heat engines as well which means that the hotter they run, the more efficient they get. So that's a very interesting point that um, I think can point in the direction to cold being a very powerful lever for health. Hmm. Where where does melanin play in with the cold, or does it? Um, I you know I, my hunch is that it does. I haven't dived too deep into the relationship between cold and melanin, but if you listen to Cruz's work. Um, I believe he says that if you take advantage of the cold, then you're able to create endogenous light within the UVC uh, light wavelength range. And from that point, I believe there's a connection between um, that and melanin production. Because he often talks about, you know, a lot of people will lose their tan once the colder months, once winter comes into the equation. Um, but if you do the right things, if you, if you expose yourself to more infrared A lights, you get into cold plunges, things of that nature, then you're able to maintain that tan. So I think that's a that's an interesting connection there. That is interesting. Uh, another interesting thing on the whole melanin was the the neuromelanin versus melanin. Um, what what's your understanding on on those two? Yeah, so neuromelanin, um, very interesting part of melanin that no almost nobody focuses on, especially centralized medicine, conventional doctors and MDs. Um, we have to keep in mind that neuromelanin is only found in the brain, hence the word neuro. And it's um, it's responsible for essentially just in taking energy, the same way melanin on the skin is responsible for taking in energy and providing the raw material for, um, you know, overall metabolism and, and the, the function of the body. There, There's a lot of research to show, um, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a conclusive thing, but there's a lot of research to show that the potential degradation of neuromelanin within the brain is actually a big factor when it comes to the development of Parkinson's, dementia, and just overall neurodegenerative disorders, um, which makes sense to me because if you take a look at how most people are living their lives, especially older people, constantly under artificial light, um, no, they don't take anything into account when it comes to circadian biology. They're not getting their sunlight. They're not getting vitamin D3. And so, um, yeah, we need to keep in mind that the three forms of melanin eumelanin, pheomelanin, and neuromelanin are, are all equally important. 
I have a friend uh, that has, you know, struggled with vitiligo for, for years. And so a couple little things that pop up with when you start understanding copper um, and then mel sunlight and melanin, um, it almost seems to me that there's some sort of a system in the body. And this is me being hypothetical. I, I, I just am trying to figure it out. It's almost like the body is trying to take melanin and move it somewhere that it feels like it's more important. Mm. Yeah, so that's something that Cruz has brought up often. I, I haven't looked into any research in regards to that, but he uh, he poses the idea that melanocytes, which are responsible for creating melanin, can actually travel throughout the body. And I mean, I honestly would not be surprised. The human body has so many like curveballs that it's thrown our way that this idea that just based off of environment and lifestyle that you can manipulate where melanocytes are and and um really change the function of how your overall skin and body operates i, th I think that would that would be within the realm of possibility cool i was, I was wondering if you if you'd had seen anything because i it was just me just thinking right like just having a, a mind experiment and like i don't understand why there's these pa patches but the more important yeah. i realize melanin is the body's, you know, pretty, pretty intelligent in, in trying to take care of itself where it's us that keeps messing it up. What you have put out, Zaid, with water, I find really, really interesting. So I'm in Arkansas, Mountain Valley, uh, spring yes. water is known across the world. Why, why is Mountain Valley so revered as being a good water? And why, why are you so high on the spring waters? You know, I think Mountain Valley was maybe, I mean, they've been around for a long time. I think the late 1800s. So they've been, uh, I think they've been a first mover, so to speak, within the spring water realm. And, uh, you know, I just like the aesthetic of the bottle. The taste of the water is incredible. Um, even like the, the energy capacity that spring water, Mountain Valley more specifically has per ounce is light years ahead of anything that, you know, conventional water offers. So for example, like when I approach clients, I'll tell them, all you have to do is drink a little bit more, a little bit less of water in general, but you just have to focus more on spring water and you'll notice better results in terms of energy just because of the vortex and, and how that, that energy capacity is stored within water itself. But I'm just big on spring water in general because it's the water we were designed to consume. Um, I like to take an evolutionary biology perspective and, you know, if, if we're talking about our hunter-gatherer ancestors, they didn't have um, a whole foods available. They didn't have bottled water available. And so they had to refer to springs and to local water sources that inherently had what we call structured water. Um, and so that's really why I'm big on it. It's just a fundamental approach to how water is made through Mother Nature and how it can benefit our bodies in return, being as, as the fact that we are one with, with nature itself. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. What um, what have you seen on the different springs in comparing uh, deuterium levels? A a anything? I actually have not. So so here's the problem. If I were to do that, I think I would have to test it individually. I'd literally have to go to these places and test for deuterium levels. Um, I I do know that Doctor Max is working on a very interesting concept of like having companies basically put the amount of deuterium within their their fact sheet so that'll be very cool if that comes to fruition um but yeah i would have to do that individually so that would that would take quite a bit of work unfortunately 
Yeah, no, and and that's uh, we've talked a lot kind of in that deuterium space, and and it's just fascinating. But I think it's still so new and not all all together just just yet. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see what's going to come of the deuterium topic because with cancer, in regards to cancer, it seems like it's an absolute game changer to pay attention. Yeah, definitely a lot of research on deuterium and cancer. Um, I think uh, one thing we do know is that glacial water itself is lower in deuterium. So the farther you go away from the equator, for some reason, the uh, the lower deuterium level within the water. So if you can pick up a glacial water, a glacial water that's ideally in glass in a glass bottle, that's that's uh, from my perspective perfect. Cool, cool. Uh, we picked up a. Evian the other day and my kids they they hated it they're like that's nasty water dad and I was like well, I feel like this is probably one of the best ones that that we could get but kids uh, they they always want to do the opposite so Zaid give me a give me kind of a a, a run through of what you would do uh, with somebody to contact you how would somebody contact you and then what is kind of the first steps and and how you work with somebody to optimize their health. Sure. So I think, um, you know, I'm really active on social media, as I'm sure you've seen. Twitter is is my main social media platform. So, um, you know, I'll usually create a lot of content on Twitter specifically. And then um, I'm very big on the, the DMs as well. So if people and usually people do have quite a few questions, I will start a conversation and I'll be able to provide a, as much value as I as I uh, can in order to help them with their situation. But from there, it's just about opening up the conversation and making sure that they know that I'm able to solve these issues for the most part. And um, usually I'll just I'll tell them about any services that I, I offer and provide. And then from there, people will funnel into the actual coaching. And the way it, it begins is very basic. I mean, I have an onboarding client assessment. I get on, on with them um, for an onboarding call. And from there, I just assess their entire lifestyle. And then we begin to make changes that are simple yet effective and long lasting, most importantly, to then help them get results. What are kind of the most common uh, places where we're tripping up as society? What, what's the, the big damaging things that you see and try to address out of the gate? Yeah, um, sleep is, is a big one, definitely. Uh, people are going to bed too late. They're waking up too many times in the middle of the night. They're not waking up feeling rested. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting because sleep and then circadian biology is tied. So light is going to be the biggest factor there. Uh, making sure that they're not under artificial light at night, past sunset. Uh, making sure that they're actually going out outside during the day and sunbathing as much as they can. There's a lot of nuance around the sunbathing discussion, but usually it's light, circadian biology, and then sleep. And then, of course, you know, n nutrition plays a big role. Just the fact that people are following a standard American diet, I think, is a, is a major detriment. But if we can solve the light component first and really align ourselves with circadian biology, then we can make changes around nutrition that are more sustainable. So I, I believe I believe I heard you describe your philosophy around uh, light as in brighter days and darker nights. I think that was super simple and, and beautifully uh, put. So how how do you view the uh, kind of the hacks around lighting at night? Do you use the red lights? Do you go with candles? Like what's what's your way to mitigate that evening light? Yeah, so for me, it's um, it's a 
a multi-step approach, let's say. I like to focus on blue light blockers as soon as the sun sets. Um, those stay on until I go to bed. Um, I, I never take those off once uh, evening strikes. And then from that point, I, I like to make the environment as dark as possible. So usually to, to other people, I recommend candles or fireplace or a bonfire. Um, any firelight is amazing in terms of it's, it's very circadian friendly. And then from that point, um, you know, I like to focus on low EMF, no flicker, red bulbs. But at the same time, you know, with the red light, you have to be careful because you don't necessarily want to use red light therapy, for example, because that could actually su suppress melatonin levels within the human body. Um, and then from that point, I think, um, yeah, just making sure that the environment is as dark as possible. And once, once I can layer on the blue light blockers with the bulbs, and then I can implement red mode or something called one tap zap on my phone, then I really have full on protection throughout the evening time. And then that, that's what really sets me up for a nice, um, great night of sleep. Let's go, let's go into the blue light with, uh, the phones and computers and, and things. And, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, kids, uh, you know, one, two, three year olds stuck to them. Uh, it's, it's one of the most terrible societal decisions that we've ever made. Not that we've made the decision personally, but the, the fact that te tech companies can create these devices that are completely divorced from what nature provides in, in regards to the light spectrum. I think that is um, just highly damaging because we have to keep in mind that, that babies and children absorb more light just because they're smaller um, than, than adults. And so when we think about the myelination of the brain, when we think about their overall development, um, uh, neurotransmitter production, because all of these things relate to light, I think it's, um, it's no reason why we're seeing ADHD, ADD, um, even younger suicide rates. I mean, it's from a, from a holistic perspective. I mean, we're really seeing everything negative increase as a result of, of the use of phones and iPads and especially at night. Yeah, I think it's just a monumental issue that I don't think enough people realize that those phones, you know, basically people are glued to them, them or the TV before they fall asleep every single night. Um, and I think, I think it's a big, big part of the problem. Uh, one, one uh, thing I saw was a classroom and they had two different setups lights and um one light it was the flicker uh you know blue bright blue lights the other was like full spectrum uh without flicker and in the flicker blue light the kids were just moving they're at you know they're just they're tapping they're they're not soft and then the full spectrum they were just calm they were just in there reading and it was just it was the same exact kids too and that was just yeah. fascinating to see that light has that big of an impact on just behavior yeah, and it, it makes sense because um, we have to keep this context in mind. There's a, and Cruz has talked about this quite a bit, but there's a, a gene within every single mammal known as the POMC gene, pro-opiomelanocortin gene. And it's, it's fundamentally stimulated by natural light. And so when we think about the, this gene in relation to the protein that it creates, which is then attached to, let's say, maybe seven to 10 of the most powerful hormone peptides that the human body creates, then it makes sense why we're seeing these results. And, and also light in relation to POMC is, is a direct pathway to neurotransmitter production within the brain. So when we start to see dopamine uh, problems, serotonin problems, norepinephrine problems, 
All of these behaviors make sense, especially in the context of young children. Yeah, the just the more we dive into this, the less I want my kids around any of it. Um, it's it's really just you know the only the the you know the blue light blockers they only get you so far. And uh, just having that, it just it just starts to honestly stress me out. Um, what what's next after that? So we've we're lining out our water. We're working on brighter days and darker nights. Uh, we're we're uh, how how do you address diet? Um, how do you consult with that? With good lord, all the the opinions and the theories and <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's it's a very confusing topic. And if you're just a, a regular person going on social media trying to find some information, right? Um, I like to take a very personalized approach to nutrition. So a lot of people like to recommend animal-based for everyone, vegetarian for everyone, veganism for everyone. I don't think that works because it's fundamentally rooted in a dogmatic approach. So what I like to focus on is um, something known as metabolic typing. So it's this idea that whatever your ancestors, uh, wherever your ancestors lived and whatever they ate for a good amount of generations, that is likely what you're going to thrive on in regards to nutrition. So, and that takes more of a, a macronutrient approach. So carbs, proteins, and fats. And that also takes, a, I think, a micronutrient approach. So the macronutrients for, for a, a given individual could be vastly different. I've come across people who are from Asia who thrive on more of like a 60 to 70% carbohydrate diet, whereas somebody like me, I'm, um, I'm what they call a, um, what is it called? I forgot what the name is, but um, I, I thrive mostly on meat. So more of a carnivore type of approach. And so when we begin to view this, the, the nutrition game from uh, more of a personalized genetic perspective, then I think we can see better results in terms of like personal uh, improvement of gut health, energy levels, uh, building muscle, losing body fat. I, I like to take a very personal approach to all of this because that's, I mean, every human body is unique. Makes It makes sense to me. All right, let's go supplements. What do you despise that too many people are taking? That's a good question. Um, probably folic acid. Folic acid is a very interesting one because it's, it's a synthetic form of a B vitamin. But um, this is highly problematic, especially with mothers who are pregnant, because usually all of the recommendations are you should take folic acid to prevent um, renal tube defects and things of that nature. But in reality, you have to take a methylated form of every B vitamin out there. So instead of folic acid, you need to be taking L-methylfolate. Now, that is, that is one supplement recommendation that can make the difference between a healthy child and an unhealthy child, just because the, the, uh, the human embryo is so sensitive to um, the, the general B complex and, and what levels are stored within the, the, the mother's body. So outside of that, um, I would say it, it's also important to keep in mind that almost all grains are, are fortified with folic acid. So it's it's very important to avoid any grains in general if, if a mother is pregnant as well. But outside of that, I mean, I think generally all supplements or most supplements are a net negative, especially when we get into deuterium, we get into the fact that a lot of companies are just in this for money. They're not focused on the right forms of supplement. They're not focused on the right synergistic combinations. Um, I, I think that's uh, 
yeah, that's basically my take on supplements. I think it's a it's a very deep rabbit hole with a lot of um, inauthentic actors. Oh, I, and and the the more you look into it, the more inauthentic actors you will find. Um, so I'm I'm really glad that you brought up the folic acid uh, because we I have multiple uh, SNP polymorphisms of the MTHFR, and uh, so I think that that is one of the you know many things that contributed to Lander's cancer. Uh, but we had, you know, folic acid in his formula, folic acid in the rice cereal because he spit up. Uh, the, just his methylation pathways were completely clogged because of, you know, the folic acid because it's not folate. It is not the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, even more recently, B6 has been shown to actually be a neurotoxin and based off of the synthetic form. And this is this is brand Dave Asprey put out something just the other day on it, um, whereas it's a uh, P5P is what we should be taking. Um, it, it, I don't remember the exact uh, you know form, but the synthetic B vitamins here. Here we go again. Right. Kind of kind of long lines. You, can, you need B6, but uh the form matters. Uh, you know, as Mark Hyman says, it's not the cow, it's the how. Uh, I think mm. the same thing applies to supplements um, or nutrients, I, I should say. It's uh, it's it's not the folate, folate it's the form of folate, uh, and that can go across yeah. the board. So what, uh, what, what I have found is that Magnesium is absolutely crucial. So I own the farmer's market and have the health food store based off of things we use. It's not a, a GNC where we, we're just trying to stock certain items. It's If we don't use it, it's not in there. But um, a soil-based probiotic has been game changers for people. Magnesium has absolutely changed lives. Uh, some of the... Uh, curcumin, uh, turmeric things to just help with the inflammation, um, have been game changers. So I think there's a place, but it's, it's, there's always these little nuances there to where you're always learning. Um, so do you, do you, how are your, how are your feelings on the minerals and deficiencies and, and, you know, all that realm? Yeah, I mean, in regards to supplementation, of course, we have to approach it with nuance. I, I don't think that all supplements are bad. I don't think supplementation as a category or just as a as an idea to help uh, mitigate certain health negative health impacts is a bad idea. I think it's all about how you actually approach the supplementation game. So, for example, you mentioned the, the soil ba soil based uh, probiotics, humic, fulvic acid, powerful compounds. Um, Shilajit is a perfect example. You have, um, you know, the forms of magnesium, especially nowadays, since we have a, an, an epidemic of magnesium deficiency, because our soils are just not capable of holding that amount of, of nutrition that we had in the past. Um, and then you add to that the fact that we're spraying toxic agro, agricultural chemicals onto, onto the soil is a huge issue. So... Um, really anything in terms of like magnesium, I think it's best to supplement. So magnesium chloride, which is transdermal, magnesium L3 and 8, which is more of a brain type of magnesium, um, more of a nootropic. And then uh, magnesium glycinate is one of my favorites as well. I think that's a, that's a great step to take if you want to bolster your health in general. Um, and outside of that, I think I like to, to take a personalized approach to supplementation as well. Like if you're somebody who struggles with a heart condition, then I'm definitely going to go down the route of um, looking into maybe beetroot or 
you know, so, something that in that promotes nitric oxide production so that you can gain some benefit from a cardiovascular perspective. So it just depends on the person's condition as well. Yeah. What's uh, what's been one of your most proud success stories? Good question. Um, there was there was actually it was towards the beginning of my coaching. There was an individual who was in Canada and he struggled with thyroid issues. So, I mean, his thyroid issues were so bad because he got his thyroid removed as a result of having cancer of the thyroid, like five to 10 years prior to working with me. And so he was, he was really struggling to even get out of bed. Um, energy issues were the, were the main problem for him. But, you know, over the course of following my, my philosophy on health, and I wasn't even too deep on the light stuff, keep in mind. So this, this was without much of the light work, but um, we were able to get him to the point where he could just live a normal life without, you know, any struggles of getting out of bed, anything like that. He had a, I, I believe he had like four kids, big family. So it was very important for him to, to just, you know, get it, get into a healthy state in regards to energy levels. And that's something I'm very proud of because um, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have the ability to get help or they're just confused or they don't know where to go. And so uh, that's really why I'm pushing my work out there as much as I can. I love it. That's uh, so I have four kids, so I can attest that it is a lot. Um, so th- with, with sowing prosperity in the mission and stuff, it's like, man, you don't have anything if you don't have health. There, there's no prosperity without health. And so I think we have a chronic fatigue epidemic. Um, and I think it goes into all the things that we just talked about, the sleep, the light met, being messed up, uh, you know, poor diet. So what's, uh, what is maybe the, the one thing that you have come across that hardly anybody understands but has been very impactful. Oh yeah, this is going to get controversial. I mean, maybe not to you, but to to most people out there, it's just um, the idea that tanning is... So so there's this mainstream idea that there's no such thing as a safe tan. Um, The Skin Cancer Foundation pushes this. A lot of the big conglomerates out there push this. But, um, you know, from a first principles perspective... And considering what we know about melanin, that's just a ridiculous take. I don't think that's true. And I think that's the result of a corrupt system that pushes things like sunscreen, sunglasses, these sort of tools. But just, um, you know, intentionally sunbathing, I think, is the most powerful thing somebody can do, uh, regardless of where they're at, whether they're a child, um, even an infant. I mean, I, I wrote a thread on how to wisely sunbathe your infant. Because this was something that was practiced in the the early 1900s. Doctors would actually recommend sunbathing for infants because of the the rickets epidemic in the United States. Um, So that's one thing, you know, regardless of where you're at, intentionally sunbathing, getting your skin in the game, um, wearing as little clothing as possible when you're out sunbathing, not using sunscreen. Those are are foundational things. And I think um, the most important thing in regards to sunbathing is focusing more on AM sunlight. Because that's actually where your skin is primed to withstand higher UVA and UVB conditions. I, I love that, Zaid. So one thing 
that I do with with my kids. Uh, so here in Arkansas, it's been it's been in the high twenties, low thirties. But I will make my kids go stand at the back door with the back door open, cracked, <laughs> to where the sun's <laughs> shining right on them with no shirt. My my son hates it. But honestly, when I talked to to Doctor Cruz, he said your son should have a tan, especially on his back where his kidneys were, because he had kidney stage four kidney cancer, and and one kidney was removed. He said. He needs a tan. So I, man, I've been trying everything I can to get sun on his little body. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome because like, you know, if, I mean, to be in that position is, I can't imagine I have a four month old, almost four month old. And the idea of going through something like that is, is just mind boggling to me. So I have like immense respect for you to even go out there and search for, solutions around the light equation because not a lot of parents would do that not a lot of parents would even try to go outside of the the conventional medical route in my opinion i don't know but um yeah i mean you absolutely have to focus on light and just getting that tan in general because uh, if we think about vitamin d3 especially in relation to cancer i i'm a firm believer that if your vitamin d3 is up above 50 milligrams per deciliter i don't think you can get cancer so that that's another controversial opinion of mine but I think it's well well founded within the research. Well, so let's let's talk about that. Let's compare um, supplemental vitamin D to to the actually natural uh, vitamin D production within the body. Oh yeah, I'm a believer that um, whatever your body produces endogenously within, you shouldn't necessarily be taking exogenously through a supplement. So if we think about how conventional or centralized medicine approaches the uh, the vitamin D3 discussion, they will say that vitamin D3 in a pill is the same thing as vitamin D3 from the sun. But I, I think that's an absurd statement. We know that the sun provides so many more things, so many more light wavelengths. Um, and plus, it's not even an indicator. If you're taking vitamin D3, D3 through a supplement, it's not an indicator of how much melanin you have, um, how much UVA or UVB you're getting, whether you're actually storing that vitamin D3 properly within the body, because the human body is extremely complex. So who's to say that you're even storing it correctly? Um, so that, that's why I really like to refer to sunlight instead of going down the vitamin D3 uh, rabbit hole, especially like also with melatonin. I think melatonin is an important part of the discussion that a lot of people focus on supplementation instead of just taking advantage of sunlight and darkness. Yeah, and I am super, super torn on the whole melatonin topic. So we've got, uh, you know, Dr. John Lawrence is coming up uh, in a couple weeks, and he's a huge proponent of high, high dose melatonin. And then if you if you look into Dr. Russell Ryder's work, uh, he's like eighty six and been studying melatonin for like sixty years. It's it's crazy his track record. But he uh, put out a study, and this was last July, of uh, Basically, melatonin uh, being extreme supplemental high dose melatonin being extremely effective in metastasis, stopping metastasis. And so that's where, you know, Tristan, Tristan seems to disagree with me on this. But like from the cancer perspective, supplemental melatonin seems to be a no brainer. Um, Now, as far as somebody that is healthy or doesn't have cancer, I, I'm not going to argue with with anybody on that. You should or shouldn't take it. But I'm I'm interested if there is a way 
to get the therapeutic levels of melatonin naturally. Or uh, Tristan even told me about a a new compound that is supposed to be more like bioidentical uh, to to the melatonin production in the body. So, do you do you have any thoughts on that? If I know you know cancer is not your your primary focus like it is mine, because um, mm-hmm. because that one. Cruz and Laurence are on opposite end of the spectrum with that. And, yeah. and, you know, I asked, I asked Dr. Cruz about that too. And he, he didn't answer directly in uh, you know, uncle Jack fashion, but uh, <laughs> he gave an answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. I think um, it really does depend on context. I, I don't know how the, the tricky thing is like, if we were to take somebody who actually has cancer at the moment and we were to take, to put them on a circadian friendly approach, what would the results be like? I, I, you know, I am a firm believer, just like Cruz is that mother nature doesn't make a mistake. And so when, when we look at the fact that melatonin follows a cycle after sunset where it's highest, um, and, and the fact that near infrared light stimulates, uh, melatonin from the mitochondria, then we can use light and the light and dark cycle in order to fight any form of cancer. But the question is, since somebody has a cancer diagnosis, they don't have much time depending on the diagnosis. Right. So that, that's where I'd be curious to see high dose, um, you know, certain things like methylene blue, high dose melatonin, like you mentioned. I'd like to see the studies on that too. Um, I think there are a lot of options out there in order to fight uh, cancer when somebody's in that position. But um, I think, you know, a healthy person in general needs to take advantage of the light and dark cycle without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, uh... I think that's where we also have kind of have to have these conversations too and, and not agree on everything, right? Like where we can question and say, because when you question or disagree and you, it's not about ego and it's not about just trying to prove you're right. And it's in the, the context of sincerely trying to learn. Cause like, I don't care if I'm right or not. I care about saving my son, right? Like yeah. that, that's it. So it's it's just very fascinating to me, but I'm not sure that a lot of the melatonin world uh, that is pro-supplemental is even aware of, say, deuterium or is aware of of some of the, the supplement manufacturing processes, you know? So there's always like this ne- nuance of learning. Oh, without, without a doubt. And I think, um, no, the people who push generally like the industry either is completely lost or ignorant or they understand that this is a real thing but they choose to ignore it ignore it because they're making a lot of money off of it so i think in general most people just don't know i don't think most people are more nefarious in terms of their their intentions but again it's it's a all this stuff is a deep rabbit hole like deuterium studying that in and of itself takes a lot of time the whole sunscreen and skin cancer and, and sunlight discussion i mean that is one of the most sensitive topics out there for sure, because I've dealt with people who believe in the opposite of, you know, sunlight inherently causes cancer. So it, it just takes education and, and people need to find the right resources, most importantly. Right. Yeah. And on on that note, I want to get too sidetracked. Um, I, I have seen it theorized that it's actually a buildup of like linoleic acid, the, the omega sixes in the skin that are having some sort of a negative oxidative uh, reaction that's causing skin cancer. So it's not necessarily that it is or isn't the sun. It's the 
kind of the perfect storm of a trash diet, right? <laughs> that that manifests based off of that. But something I'm super curious on with melanin is is twofold. One chaga being used historically for and by all means looks to be something that is effective in using for mel- melanoma is is the chaga made does it have a higher concentration of melanin i wonder i think it does it depends on the species of mushroom but i think chaga is dark brown or dark black or black in color so um that's also one of the reasons why like for example black seed oil is so powerful as well because of it's at least it's theorized that uh, because of the high melanin content. Of course, there are other things around that, like immune modulation and things of that nature. But if you look at chaga, I think, um, yeah, if I don't have that uh, incorrect, I think, yeah, just because it, it has a higher melanin content as well. It's really interesting. I, obviously, supplemental anything is not going to be as good as, as you know, the natural production. But I've also seen where uh, squid ink is actually melanin. Um I don't know. I have not dove into that. I just found that to be an interesting, you know, tidbit. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think people need to understand that when it comes to melanin in general, I mean, it's found throughout nature. So if you look at, um, like I mentioned, the, the two main forms or the two different forms of melanin, you have eumelanin, which is responsible for the blacks and browns. So if you look at like um, a black jaguar, a brown bear, any animal or plant that has that sort of color, that's eumelanin at work. If you look at pheomelanin, that's responsible for more of the oranges, reds, yellows, pinks. So a flamingo, a red fox, um, red herring, I mean, anything in nature that resembles those colors, that's going to be pheomelanin at work. And so it's very interesting to see the dichotomy between those two and just the mere fact that it's found throughout nature. I mean, like I, like I said, Mother Nature doesn't make a mistake. And so within every species of, um, of animal, I think it serves the same function. Great, great point. Uh, thinking back, so I spent eight years on an ambulance. So it, this, but I said that to say in looking at the body and going through school and, and, you know, horrific accidents and stuff, organs are extremely vibrant in color. So based off mm. of that observation, and what you just said with the different shades of color, that that would be melanin uh, in the body, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think um, in general, most things within the body that are colored, I mean, surely melanin has, has to relate to it. Uh, what's also interesting is that the human body is loaded with something called um, opsins, so non-visual photoreceptors. And these non-visual photoreceptors are actually attached to a chromophore. So if you look at the color of blood, for example... The reason why it's red is because of, um, of heme iron and, and the fact that it's attached to a chromophore. Um, really anything within the body that, that has some form of color, we can assume that it's, it's attached to a chromophore, which is, is essentially is just a light-sensitive uh, protein. So there, there's another reason why light is so important for the human body as well. Super cool. Man, I've, I've, loved, I've loved this. Uh, I liked... I liked the idea of having having a conversation with you as kind of that personal hands-on almost uh, intermediary or liaisons between crews because he just gets to go and I'm just like 
man, I'm, I'm trying, but Lord, I got a lot of leveling up to, to understand some of the stuff he says. So Zay, thank you, brother. And where, where do you uh, recommend that we send people to follow you more or even potentially work, work directly with you? Yeah, so on Twitter, um, at Zaid K. Dahaj, I'm sure you'll have the links down below, so no need to spell it, but um, Instagram is the same handle. Um, you can find my website at ZaidKDahaj.com. Um, and then also the 2AM podcast is just a fun overall platform for me and my co-host to, you know, have a, have a good chat, make fun of, of certain things, talk about health subjects. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find me there as well. But, you know, the, the sentiment that you iterated last before before you sent us off was the fact that you're always learning i'm always learning as well and i think in terms of like cruz's understanding of of the comprehensive picture i think he does understand a lot more than i do for example like i'm learning from him all the time um but then again i'm learning from a lot of people constantly so i think as long as people can take on that curious mindset then we'll, we'll make it through because we really do need um as much holistic comprehensive education as possible these days Amen, brother. Give me, give me the, what you're most excited about in 2024. 2024 for me personally, um, just working with clients in person. I'm going to start working with more clients in person. So that's going to be very exciting. And where are you at? Uh, Southern California. Southern California. Well, enjoy that weather, buddy. And, and Zane, <laughs> I, I have enjoyed uh, visiting. I've enjoyed following along as you put out some great information. Uh, it's so, so exciting that our generation is, is, is stepping up, honestly. Uh, you know, Max, Tristan, they're, you know, we got the farmers. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm excited and it just, it just makes the future brighter to me to know that we have a group that's trying. Yeah. Yeah, people need to understand that light always wins over darkness. So at the end of the day, if we can just keep bringing our light, that's all that matters, man. We're going to win. Amen. I love it. Thank you, Zaid. Thank you, brother. It's been a fun time. Thank you for joining us on Sewing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sewingprosperity.com.